Now today we're going to conclude a series of three messages that we've been involved in over the last few weeks called The Treasure of Time and How to Spend It Wisely. And over the last few weeks we've been dealing with some themes uh, that are not often talked about in church and yet very important stuff that we all deal with and the Bible has a lot to say about and more importantly that we have an enemy who is trying to uh, rob us of the blessing God wants us to enjoy in each of these areas. And so to me, this is not just a matter of self-help, not a matter of uh, you know, improving your life. This is a matter of spiritual warfare, contending for uh, what God ex um, uh, has uh, made available to me that the devil, the enemy, wants to rob from me. So we've been talking about these things. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about disorganization. And I asked the question, are you managing time or just managing? And uh, we talked about how to live and work smarter. Last week, we talked about sleep deprivation. And I asked the question, are you beating the clock or just beat? And I, uh, we talked about how to stop trading your health for time. And today, as we wrap this up, pardon me, i got to fix this mic. As we wrap this up, we're going to talk about stress. And I'm asking the question, is your life balanced or a balancing act? And we're going to talk about how to maintain life's equilibrium. And so I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at a few other verses um, uh, in just a moment, but we'll start here. And we're going to start reading at verse 25 of Matthew 6. Therefore I say to you, Jesus is speaking, and if you have a, a Bible, a red letter edition of a, of a paper Bible like I have in, in my hands here, or um, some electronic versions of the Bible also have red letter editions. When you see those red letters, I mean Jesus is speaking. Jesus is saying these words. Jesus is saying this. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. You ever find yourself worrying about your life? Just me? Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus starts off by saying, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. I was talking, I overheard a conversation, uh, one of the women uh, this morning in the earlier service talking about how they stood at, st stood at their closet door this morning for a long time and couldn't think of anything to put on. Don't worry about what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? A cubit is a, a unit of measure. It's like saying, how many of you, by worrying, can add an inch to your height? I mean, it's, it's foolish. We know that that's not possible. And yet... We, we worry about so many things thinking that our anxiety and our worry could change anything. Verse 28, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed or clothed like one of these. 
Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. And the, he's using the term Gentiles there to uh, describe anyone who doesn't really have a relationship with God. These are the things that uh, trouble or disturb people who don't know God. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But instead... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Jesus isn't saying that these things aren't important. I'm really glad you guys put on clothes before you came here this morning. <laughs> They're important. But there's some things that are more important. And Jesus said, make the highest priority of your life the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you do, all these other things will be added to you. They will find their proper balance, their proper place, their proper order in your life. Therefore, verse 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the days, its own trouble. And again, Jesus isn't saying, don't have a plan about tomorrow. Don't, don't be strategic about your... He's not saying... He's not telling us not to be strategic about our lives, not to be organized, not to be responsible. But he's saying, don't worry about tomorrow. I got this. <clears throat> We're going to talk about stress, as I've already mentioned today. And uh, to begin with, I just want to um, I want to define some terms. So, I mean... All of us, I don't have to use, I don't have to really define the word stress. We all know what that feels like. But I'm, I'm going to be talking about a specific type of stress today. And there are really two um, kinds of stress, the general categories. Um, and one is the temporary challenge of life, temporary challenges, excuse me, of life we grow by and that keep us sharp. These are good things. Uh, they don't seem like it at first, you know, when... Uh, the car breaks down on the freeway or, you know, you get that phone call that you didn't want to get. And those kinds of challenges that confront us, they're not pleasant in the short term, but they produce something in us. They are the way that we grow. I was talking to one of the guys in our church. He's a weightlifter about this last week. If there's no resistance, there's no muscle added. You don't lift weights with balloons. Right? There has to be resistance in order for there to be development, in order for there to be growth. And the same is true in our lives. And I said, you know, it goes without saying, none of us like challenges. We don't, we don't look forward to them, but they, they, uh, they actually add to us. And when we experience those kinds of challenges, the body, the brain sends a signal to the body to release adrenaline that gives us that immediate initial charge to be able to, to step in and do something, to be able to react in a situation. It creates the potential for flight or flee. That's part of the way God wired us, and it's normal, and it's actually healthy. It's good. 
But the other kind of stress is what I'm after talking about today, and that's the kind that is the grinding impact of an unbalanced life. You know, I have to, from time to time, as I'm sure you do, get my wheels balanced on my car. Because if I don't, you know, I throw one of those little weights or something like that, my, my wheels will be like, like this going down the road. You ever had that experience? What, I'm just the only person here today that's ever experienced any of these things? Wow. All right. I have this happen to me sometimes. <laughs> and, and what happens, there's two negative effects of that. One is it creates a bumpy ride. And number two, my tires wear out quicker than they're supposed to. And in places, they shouldn't. We're, we encounter in life circumstances and situations that if we allow them to can become sustained sources of challenge and conflict that stressors that uh, cause us to experience this ongoing grinding debilitating effect and it's like we're going down the road of life like this and it's a bumpy ride and it wears us out in ways that God did not intend for us. That's what I want to talk to you about today. When, when that kind of thing happens, the brain sends a signal to your, uh, your body to release a, a chemical called cortisol. We all need that and, and it does uh, good things for us except when it's um, released uh, in a, an amount uh, more than is natural in response to stress. And when that happens, it sets up a chain reaction where the body prepares for a long season of chronic adversity. Um, people who have been in battle, warfare of any sort, know what this is like. The body uh, sets itself up to be able to withstand this long season of adversity, but in the, re the result is that it takes a severe toll on the body. And if you're living a life uh, absorbed by stress, you are experiencing that. Let's talk about what causes it. I've already mentioned it, but it needs to be said again that this kind of stress is caused by unbalanced living. And what do I mean by that? I don't mean that... You just have, you know, you got enough recreation to balance your work. You got enough, uh, you know, relationships, good relationships to balance the other things. I'm not, I'm not talking about that so much. I'm talking about when I say unbalanced living, I'm talking about outer directed living. In other words, the things that are propelling you through life, the things that are forcing choices and changes in your lives, come from outside of you. They're pressing in on you. Demands from other people. Demands from life. Um, and I'm also talking about being circumstance-driven. That means that you, you, the choices that you make, the, the way you conduct yourself is based on a set of circumstances that you're presented from outside of you. That creates unbalanced living. What cures it is Balanced living, which is the opposite of that, where we are inner-directed. There's something from inside me 
that is directing how I live, how I respond, what the priorities of my life are, and that I am driven by priorities, not circumstances. Now look with me at Mark chapter 1. So we, we've been in Matthew. Now turn to the next book in the New Testament, just right down the road from Matthew. Chapter 1 of Mark, in verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daybreak, this is talking about Jesus, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now what you need to know is that, Je that Jesus has just been through a very, very stressful day. The people have pressed in upon him, crowds pressing in on him because he's healing the sick, he's delivering the bound, and they want to be able to get their loved ones close to Jesus. They want to be able to experience the, the, his power touching their lives. It's hard for us. We, we read this kind of stuff and we kind of glaze over it as though it wasn't any big deal. You know what it's like when people, when you try to explain to somebody else what you do for a living, Gary, when you try to explain to people what you do for a living, do they appreciate how hard it is? No. <laughs> Same for all of us. Nobody can really live in your shoes. And, and they, everybody always thinks everybody else has it better than them, right? So we glaze over this stuff. Oh, yes, Jesus healed the sick and... and and deliver the bound. You and I have no concept whatsoever the toll that took on him physically. Jesus was completely, fully human as he was fully and completely God. And so the toll that it took on him physically, emotionally, mentally, you and I can't even comprehend being demanded by, on, demands placed on him by these throngs and crowds of people continually. He just had one of those days. The next morning, he does not do what I do. Oh, a little more sleep, please. No, he rises early. And he departs before daylight to a solitary place and he prays. Don't think for a moment that was easy. And Simon, or Peter, and those who were with him, the disciples, searched for him, for Jesus. When they found him, they said to him, Hey, everybody's looking for you. And you go off and just hide away someplace? Everybody's looking for you. Does it ever feel like that to you? Do you ever just feel like you want to go and find a hole in the ground, turn off your cell phone, and make sure nobody can find you at least for a few minutes? That's not what Jesus is doing, but they think that that's what's going on. Everybody's after him. Everybody wants a piece of him. Now, uh, thankfully, this doesn't uh, happen now, primarily because I don't have a window to the street in my office back there. But when I was uh, in my first church, I had an uh, I had an off, literally a corner office <laughs> and with the windows to the parking lots. Every time during the day, some parishioner, some member of the congregation would pull into the parking lot, I had that feeling, oh, I got to go find somewhere to run and hide. <clears throat> you know, I'm kidding just a little bit, right? Not so much, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
You know what that feels like. And so they come to Jesus and they said, everybody's looking for you. But listen to what he says. Verse 38, he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. He makes this incredible statement. He says, I know everybody's looking for me, but I'm out of here. I know everybody wants a piece of me, but I'm out of here. Why? Because I have a purpose. Because my life is driven from something inside, not from outside. Their demands are not what calls the shots for me. His demands are what calls my shots. His demands are the ones I respond to. And I've got to move on. I know they want me, but I'm moving on. Man, that's hard. That's hard. But it's, it's powerful and beautiful. Um, let's talk a minute about, so that's what I mean when I said that balanced living is interdirected living, priority-driven, not outer-directed, circumstance-driven what does the Bible have to say or what does God have to say about this whole thing about a balanced life? Well, turn now to Proverbs. Proverbs is kind of in the middle of the Old Testament and uh, right after Psalms and uh, chapter 16. Proverbs 16, verse 11. Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. Kind of an odd, odd verse, but very important and very powerful if we're going to understand this whole thing about God wanting for you and me to experience a balanced life. It says here that all the weights in the bag are his work. You know, we have a guy in our church, his name is Rod, and he is an artist. He, he does uh, wood sculptures, they're amazing. And one day, he, he had a gallery downtown uh, uh, Vallejo for quite a while. And uh, one day, I was invited over to their home. And he t- most of his work now is in his garage. And so he took me on a little tour and showed me all of his amazing sculptures. And I was just blown away by the artistry and, the, and all of that, the skill. And, um, but what I was staring at in all of those uh, works of art was... His life's work. This was his work. When you go to a gallery and you see stuff on display, it's the artist's work. It's, it's not trivial in any sense. You know, when I would get close to one of these sculptures, I you know, wanted to touch them, but I chose not to because I didn't want to leave fingerprints on it. I didn't want my skin oil to touch it to ruin it. And this, is, this is the man's work. Right? This is important stuff to him. And you could, tra- literally, the word that uh, is in the uh, Hebrew translated as work here in my English New Te- uh, Old Testament really literally means it's his concern. God is deeply concerned about all the weights in the bag. Well, what does that mean? Well, in those days when you went to buy something, you brought with you a little bag with stones that were measured to be a certain weight. Let's say you wanted to buy, uh, you know, a, a pound of flour. You'd go to the store and they'd have a scale like what's up on the screen up here. And, you'd, and you would put 
the rocks that added up to uh, a, a pound on one side of the scale. And then the merchant would pour into the other side of the scale flour until the, the scale balanced out. So now you have a pound of flour. God is saying that this stuff about the balancing of scales and the weights and their accuracy is stuff he takes very, very seriously. In fact, you could look in, in uh, Exodus chapter 30, verse 13 to find out that the standard of weights and measures was kept at the house of God in the temple. Ever been to the gas station and seen the official um, uh, truck there from from weights and measures and the guy, you know, squirting gas into a thing to determine whether the pump is really calibrated correctly? Again, I'm probably the only person, right? Okay. They do that, and the reason they do that is so that when you come to fill up your tank and it says that you've put 22.3 gallons into your tank, it's actually that much, right? So there's a standard that our government, our, our government holds the standards of weights and measures. The Bible says that God had, has a, he's very concerned about this and that the temple was the place, the house of God was the place where the standards of measure were kept. Why am I making such a big deal about this? Because it says God does. He wants for us to have a balanced life. And most of us approach the balancing of the scales of our lives in the wrong way. Most of us, what we do is we try to adjust what's in the two, on the two sides of the scale. We try to move things around, reshuffle stuff, so we try to kind of keep some equilibrium. Can I just tell you something I think you've already figured out but don't want to admit to yourself? It can't be done that way. Did you hear me? It can't be done that way. You can shuffle the stuff around, but it's still gonna, you're still going to be rolling down the road like this until you decide to do what Jesus did. It's just focus on the fulcrum not the trays. The fulcrum is that thing that right in the middle there where everything hinges on. When you get that right, then it balances out. And Jesus understood that's what's important. And that's why when everything in him physically was crying, hit the snooze button on the alarm that day before the, the break of day, he went out to seek God. Because what does Matthew 6 tell us? Seek God. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not second, not third, not somewhere down the list, but first. Why? Because God's egotistical and he just, you know, wants for you. No. It's because he knows that's when life will balance. When you seek him first and make him the highest priority... Jesus set that example for us. He prioritized his relationship with the Father by making time to seek him. It was costly for him to do so that day. But doing so caused him to be able to have the perspective that was required for him to choose purpose over urgency. And dear ones, that's a hard one for us. When someone, someone or something is screaming in your face, take care of this now, it's really hard. 
to choose purpose, inner directiveness over urgency. But that's why we got to get this right. I'm going to tell you a quick story before we close, just to flesh this out a little bit from my own life. When I was pastoring my first church, and you know, it was about 100 years ago, <clears throat> the church was growing uh, fast, and um, there was a lot of... I was very, very busy, and um, uh, I didn't realize it. I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't get that I couldn't solve every problem. I couldn't fix everybody. I, I just thought, you know, well, if I can just work harder, if I could do more, if I could put in more time, if I, you know, that, you know, somehow or another, all of this will work out. And uh, I didn't realize what God knew, but I was... Uh, deeply, deeply in stress. And um, one Saturday, I woke up in the morning and I was just mad at the world. I was angry in ways I had never experienced. And I got dressed. I paid no attention to my wife and kids. I went and got in the car and started driving just, just angry, you know, and... and and I honestly, it was, I was so dissociated in my mind. I didn't know where I was going. And when I got to wherever it was I, was, I had gotten to, I didn't know how I had, uh, I didn't know how I got there. I, I didn't know what, what roads I had taken. It was just a, a very manic, weird, angry, terrible, awful day that I never want to live through again. Somehow I got home safely that night. And the Lord spoke to me. This is a Saturday. I'm a preacher. I've got... Uh, multiple services I have to uh, conduct the next morning. And I'm in no shape for that. And I heard the Lord speak to me. Now, I don't want to sound as though I'm some sort of, you know, mystic. Um, I, don't, I don't say that lightly. There have been a few times in my life when I think I've heard God's voice audibly. But, and this was one. Now, I, I, it may not have been. It may just been something I, I understood or heard in my, in my soul. But it was, it was strong. And I, but I know it was the Lord. And I know the Lord said to me, you have one year. I didn't need to say any more than that. I knew what he meant. I knew that he meant that I had one year to change my life and that if I didn't, there was going to be some serious consequences. Not that he would visit on me, but that I would visit on myself. And so I set about to do what I always do, which is fix it myself. Oh, okay, I can fix this. I'll just change that. I'll, I'll delegate this. I will stop doing that. You know. And what I was doing was just shuffling the chairs around on the deck of the Titanic. It was still going down, but it looked different. And so I had myself convinced that I'd work this all out until about a year later, almost to the day, I was in a class. I'd forgotten about all that because I figured, okay, I got this taken care of. And I was in a class with a bunch of people um, learning how to give a psychological eval evaluation. It was a test that you give to people that you're counseling with. And the, um, the, the instructor who was teaching the course, part of what he did was had all of us take this, this uh, evaluation or, or uh, go through this evaluation tool. And then what he did uh, to show us how to interpret it was he picked a couple of them to, um, to go over and explain what you could learn from this, these tests. And um, uh, so everybody with me so far, you kind of understand what's going on? 
So mine was the first one he picked. And uh, he opens it up and he says, okay, who is Randy Bolt? And I raise my hand because I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> you know, I'm about ready to get applauded here and, you know, for what a great guy I am and everything. And uh, so I raise my hand and he points at me. He says, if you don't radically change the way you live, and I'm not pointing at you on purpose, Shannon, this is just, <laughs> right? If you don't radically change the way you live, you will. He, he used an emphatic term. He said, you will lose your family, lose your ministry, lose your health. And I, I wanted to just crawl under the chair. I wanted to hide. But I was just totally busted. God just totally busted me. And it was his mercy that did so. And within a matter of a couple of days from then, I, I went to the church council, the, the people who, you know, uh, led our, our church governmentally, and I said, I said, uh, I don't know, I don't know what to say, I don't know how this could work. All I know is I don't have an option with this, and I am not going to be around here for three months. I. I'm going to change my phone number. You're not going to hear from me. You're not going to see me. I'm going to be gone. Whether you guys want me back after that, that'll be up to you. But I, there may not be anything left for you to have back if I don't do this. I have got to respond to God. And what I did for those next three months is tried to do Matthew 6.33. Seek first. Not after everything else. Because the thing is, you never get everything else done. <laughs> Not later down the list. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now I realize that many of you, most of you, wouldn't have the option to do what I did that day. To say, see ya. I'm not going to be back for three months. I'm going to go hang out with God. I know that's not the answer, but what I know it, the, what I mean is I know that the answer in every case is not to take a sabbatical. The answer, though, is the same for every one of us. We must seek first. We must deal with the fulcrum, not the trays. We must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to us. The reason I can stand here today, you know, 20, 25 years later, is because I learned a very hard and deep and important lesson that I, I hope maybe I can, um, my testimony or my example will help flesh this out for you because it's not just words on a screen. This is real life and we have a real God who really cares about you and this stuff. This is recording number 11108 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 8, 2014. This is the third and final message in a series titled, The Treasure of Time. How to Spend It Wisely. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Stress. Is Your Life Balanced or a Balancing Act? 